if you have your Bibles, we are in Nehemiah chapter 10. And this is a, a book about a man who hears God's calling to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. This is after the people of Israel have been disciplined and uh, disciplined by the Lord by no longer being their own nation, by being scattered, by being taken as slaves and prisoners to Babylon and to the Assyrians for the northern kingdom. And now um, the wall was destroyed and just a regular guy working in a Persian uh, court of the king, Artaxerxes, has a vision from God that he wants him to rebuild the wall. And he does. Amidst tons of opposition and tons of resistance from outside and issues inside, he builds the wall. The wall is rebuilt. It is an exciting thing. And then they bring in Ezra, contemporary of Nehemiah. And they said, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to read the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books. That was the most important for Jewish people. So we're going to read the whole thing in one setting. And they do. And it is an emotional, incredible spiritual experience. I know if you've had them, you know what it's like. It's like a, there's these moments in, in my life, and in, in your life too, if you've been a Christian for a while, where it's like the hairs on your body are standing up and God is speaking to you in a very real way. And this is exactly what it was like. And the people, the priests and the, and the Levites, they say, this is a special day. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate because we have not read the Bible and uh, things have not been done according to the Torah for a thousand years since Joshua the son of Nun came in and took the land. They did not celebrate the Feast of Booths. And probably not much Torah reading either was happening because they're busy being evil most of the time, the Jewish people. So this is the first time they read it. And then the this is last week, they, they have a period of repenting. Because it's so emotional because they read it and they said, we didn't, we're not doing any of this stuff. We had, they, they had no idea that there was a Feast of Booths. These people were like, this blew their minds. And it was obviously very emotional because it's like, we have not followed God's rule. We have not followed God's way. We have not listened to God or obeyed God. And this is where we are. And we're going to start one verse before chapter 10, verse 938. I know we've been reading a lot of scripture and I've gotten mixed things about it. But I think it's good because God's word promises that his word will not return void. Even if my sermon is terrible, you just hearing God's word is going to have an impact on your life. Right? So that's, that's where I pray. <laughs> so even if it doesn't great, go great for me, God's word does not return void just as the rain goes out and waters the earth and brings fruit. It's going to bring fruit to our lives. That's why we read it. So we're going to start in verse 38 of chapter 9. Because of all this, we make a firm, so this is the repenting, this is God's faithfulness, the people have not been faithful, and God scattered them among the nations, and this, because, so because of all that, from chapter 9, excuse me, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. 
On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hekaliah, Zedekiah, Seraiah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Hashur, Amariah, Melchijah, Hatush, Shebaniah, Maluch, Harim, Meramoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Genethon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mijamin, uh, Maziah, Bilgai, Shemaiah. These are the priests. And the Levites, Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benuai, the, of the sons of Henadad, Cadmiel, and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kelatah, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Heshabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, and Beninu. The chiefs of the people, Harosh, Pahath, Moab, Elam, Zetu, Bani, Buni, Asgad, Bebai, Adonijah, Bigvei, Adin, Atar, Hezekiah, Azor, Hodiah, Hashum, Bezai, Hereth, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpiesh, Meshulam, Hezer, Meshazebel, uh, Zadok, Jediah, Pelatai, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshaya, Hananiah, Hashub, Halohesh, Hilat, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Maasiah, Ahaya, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Harum, Bana. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year in the exaction of every debt. <coughs> we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed peace, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses, at times appointed, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of, the, of our ground, and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree, year by year, to the house of the Lord, also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from, sorry, the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. 
And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of Ragab, to the, um, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Now may God bless the reading of his word. <coughs> if you've been a Christian for a while, you might have had one of these experiences, and I've had these experiences before, where your life is not going the way it should go. Your life is a disaster. Your life is a wreck. And you pray maybe a prayer, something to this extent. Like, God, I will do whatever you want. Just get me out of the situation. I had this experience happen. I finished this story before, but I was in Hawaii. And I went snorkeling without my partner, without my friend. I was like, I want to go by myself. He didn't want anyone to stay back. I was like, I can swim okay, no problem. I love seeing fish. It's amazing. So I go out, and of course, there's like a rip current that I'm first I'm going to swim in normal, and also I'm going to swim in harder. I'm like not moving. And I'm swimming so hard, and I am not moving. And I am I am having a I'm freaking out. I'm like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna die. And I call out to God, I'm like, God, please rescue me. I will do whatever you want. I will serve you however you want. Just please save me. Because I was scared. And of course, God answered that prayer. A paddle boarder was right next to me. I called out. He came and helped me get onto the board and brought me back to the shore. And God saved me. And I don't know if I completely obeyed God after that, but I definitely tried for a while, right? We've all had this experience. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've had an experience like this. And this is kind of what's happening here, right? They are, they're, of course, they are genuinely, just like I was, I was genuinely afraid. I was genuinely scared. These people were like, we have disobeyed God and God has punished us rightly. But we want to, we want to change. We want to, make, we want to be different. We want to be like God. We want to be obedient to God. We want to love God again. We don't want to be separate from God. Because God is the one who brings all blessing into our lives. So my big idea is that believers get to commit and covenant with God. Believers get to commit and covenant with God. So, in verse 38, after they were counted, so all the, first of all, all the people commit to God's law here. This is not an individual thing, this is everybody. So they recounted the history of God's faithfulness and the, and the, and the people's disobedience at Sinai and the promised land. Right? They walk around in the desert for 40 years. God sustained them even though they were disobedient. They go into the land. They take it that's not theirs. Right, And it's all set up for them. Vineyards they did not plant. Trees they did not plant. And they disobeyed God. They did their own thing. They worshipped golden calves. They committed extreme idolatry. Just doing whatever they wanted to do except for God's word. They even read God's word. But God was faithful to them. This is a common theme in the Old Testament. You read the Bible, talking to some people, which is great. People you know, reading the Bible in the year, I think it's a great idea to do that. January's coming, right? It's almost Christmas. 
and then the new year. That's where you just read the Bible. When you read the Old Testament, this is a common occurrence. You will see this both in the Torah, you'll see it in the Psalms, you'll see it in many different places, including Nehemiah, where they recount, because this is like this is their historic touchstone of who they were as people, right? This deliverance that Moses over a thousand years ago, this is who they identify themselves. We are the people of God, because God led us from Abraham to Moses, delivering us from the Pharaoh into the wilderness, giving us God's law, and giving us the land that he promised for us. That's, that's like the whole story. In, in Jews to this day, that's their story. They all believe this. They all This is, this is, this is an identity thing. right? This is who we are. We are God's people, and God delivered us from the Pharaoh and gave us his word. So this is huge. This is big. And they recount it over and over. You read the Old Testament, you'll see this many times. Just like Nehemiah describes it. Because it's who they are as a people. And they say, okay, now we're back. We got the wall built, but we are still slaves of these other nations. We're slaves of the Persian Empire. They will be slaves of other empires. They'll be slaves of the Roman Empire when Jesus appears on the scene. So they decide, right, God made a covenant with the people at Sinai a thousand years ago. But here in Nehemiah, which makes one of the most probably important chapters in the whole Old Testament, as the people now say, we are going to commit to you, God. We are going to reestablish this covenant. We all failed. Our fathers failed, right? All of the generations have failed, except for right now, we are going to be committed to you. We're going to covenant with you. And a covenant, so if you don't know that word, a covenant is similar to a treaty. And the most common kind of treaty that was in that time period, all the way back from Moses, the Hittites, right, we have documentation of what a covenant was. And the most common kind of treaty was a suzerain and vassal covenant. Suzerain was like the king or the lord. He was a greater person than vassal, if you, if you knew, know your European history. A vassal was like a servant of that person. Right? Because in the feudal system in Europe, it was not that dissimilar. So there's a suzerain, vassal, it's basically the king and the servants. And the king, the, the lord, the, the master, in this treaty, he becomes family to the vassal through a covenant. Okay? He becomes family. They call it fictional kinship. It's like, I'm going to be your father. This happened. This is not just in the Bible. This is other treaties have happened this way, similarly. This is how we know what a covenant is. So it becomes like family. And some of the stuff I've read say it's similar to marriage. Right? Marriage are people that are not family, but they become family through through marriage, right? They commit to each other. We will become family till death do us part, for better or for poorer, right? Things get great, that's awesome. Things are not great, we are still together. It's also similar to the idea of adoption, right? Adoption is a, is a beautiful symbol of what it means to covenant because you take somebody who is a baby who is not your baby. No genetic 
similarities, right? And you say, legally, this person is going to be my son, he's going to take my family, and we're going to love him no matter what. Right? So this is sim- these are similar ideas to kind of understand what is the covenant that God made with his people. The greater, in the greater party, the suzerain, he provides benefits like protection, like land, like uh, people who will protect and serve the vassal. Now, in return, the vassal, the lower party, is completely loyal. Whatever terms that the suzerain has, I need a moment, as we say. One second here. Whatever that the, um, the suzerain commands or asks, the vassal needs to obey. One second, sorry. I know it's a lot of information here, and I apologize. I'm mostly better, but just a little bit of stuff still. And what's important about the covenant is that the, the vassal cannot take another suzerain or lord or master. It's, it's kind of a once-and-done deal in the idea of a covenant. If you, if you go to some other suzerain, the, the deal is off. The, the covenant is canceled. Very common. And the people, which they, they mentioned in the previous chapter, they completely abandon God as their suzerain, as their lord, as their father. Right? Because the suzerain becomes family. He is like the father of the relationship. And they say, no, we don't want you as our father. We're going to take anything and everything else we're going to serve Baal. We're going to serve the golden calf. We're going to serve Molech. All these ancient gods that were super evil did horrible things. Completely unlike God. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do anything. We'll do anything but, anything but God, the real God. Anything but Yahweh. Right? Molech has children's sacrifices. People serve them rather than the true God. So they abandoned. They're completely unfaithful. And God allowed them because they, they broke the covenants, God allowed them to suffer. God allowed them to reap what they sowed. Right? Allow them to be killed. And abandoned. And captured and devoured by the land. Even though every time they repented, he came back. He's like, okay, I got you. Deliver you from your enemies. You're safe. But then uh, like five minutes later, they're like, we're doing our own thing again. That's not God. We'll just do it our own way. So he was quick to deliver. Now the people, this is what makes this so important, the people say, we want, we want you to be our father again. We want you to be our suzerain. We want you to be our master and our leader. Be our king. And then in verse 1 to 27, as I stumbled through that list of names, so it's just showing that Nehemiah, and all the leaders and the princes and the nobles, they signed it. Not everyone, because there's 50,000 people. But that the main chiefs, the main political and spiritual leaders say, as a people, we're going to sign this. 
It isn't just something in our minds where we're going to write, we're going to do something about this. Let's sign this. So from the, from the, from the, the greatest noble, from, from Nehemiah to the temple servants who cleans out the sacrifices every day, right? They all signed it. They all believed, right? Because it says after that list of names, everyone who comprehend, they're in. Like, yes, we agree, we are part of this covenant, we want, to, we, want to, we want to commit to God, we want to covenant with God again. So they all enter the covenant of their own accord and swear to God's law, right, the oath and the curse. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, there are blessings and cursings, right? The cursing is if you don't obey me, you don't do any of the stuff I want you to do, there will be curses for you. And they say, we're going to put that all on us because we want to be committed to God. Right? And they stop, they'll, they'll say, we're going to suffer the consequences of disobedience and we will obey all your rules and statutes. So this is a powerful scene in the Bible. Right? Like I said, it's been 141 since the wall was broken down. It's been 1,000 years since the Torah has been read. But the people want to obey God. They want to be in a relationship with God again. This is, this is, this is important. They, they, of their own accord, God doesn't tell them to do this. They say, no, we want to be faithful to you, God. We want to know you. We want your blessing and protection in our lives. And we will do, what we, we'll do whatever you ask us to do because we love you. And this is what it means to be a believer even today. The, the issue thing, the great thing about being a believer is that's not that we have to obey God. We get to obey God. We don't have to obey God, but we get to obey God. If you believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again on the third day, and you believe that he is your Savior, he saves you from your sins, and that he's the Lord of your life, God gives you a new heart and new desires. God gives you a new heart with new desires. Now, of course, I'm not saying there's, there's not any conflict ever in our lives because we're still made of flesh. We're still people. We still have sinful desires that still remain in us. But God gives you new desires. If you believe in Jesus, if you love Jesus, there are things that I, I, I know have changed for you. Just like some things have changed for me. Yes, there's a war. There's a battle sometimes. There is failure sometimes. But there is a, there is a part of my life, and you know this, you, for you too, that wants to love and obey and gets to love and obey God. Because I know that it's better. I know that he is better. So it, even if it's a tiniest part, there is a t if you're a believer, there is a tiny part of you at least, or maybe a great part of you that says, I want to obey the Lord. I want to obey Jesus. I want to love people. I want to be kind when they're saying to my wife. I want to be good to my, my children. I want to do a good job of my work. And if there are zero desires for God, I want to commit to you or ask you, are you sure that Whatever experience you had when you became a Christian, is that true? Is that real? That's the question I have for you. Now, I'm not saying, like I said, 
There's certainly battles. There's certainly wars with my different desires. I have them all the time. But there is a part of me, if you are a true believer, there's a part of you that wants to and gets to obey the Lord. So it might be time for you to maybe recommit or reevaluate or ask God, say, am I one of your people? Do I want to, at least part of me wants to do and obey you? And it's also corporate, right? They're, all the people are doing this. So the relationship, your relationship with Jesus is, first of all, personal, right? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord, typical evangelicalism. That's what we believe at CIC. But there's a very significant dimension where this is, they're doing this together as a people. And that's what we, as, as a body, we need to do this as well. As a, as a group of people who are under CIC, we need to do this together in some way. Because like I said before, we are a family. right? Just like the people of Israel, this 50,000 people, they knew that they were family. Because they all loved, you know, wanted to obey Jesus. And we will have a week, probably in January, like we've done in the past, where we'll, there'll be a chance to recommit ourselves when we do a, do a fasting for about a week, probably around the middle of January, where it'll be a chance for us to recommit and connect to God and say, yes, we want to submit to you, we get to obey you, we love you. But there is a corporate, a significant corporate dimension throughout the entire Old Testament. There is nothing in the Bible that says it's just you and Jesus. Right now I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here as a family, as a body just to make that clear. And, as a family, it's important to spend time together. Right? Um, you know, most of my relationships, both in college and young adult, and most of my life, which has been in Kuwait, most of my friends, my real friends, have been connected to the church. And this is why I said my life group, we spend a lot of time just enjoy food and fellowship together. Because I want to know the people better in my group. I don't just want to like, let's, let's read the Bible and get out of here. No, I'll, part of being a Christian, part of being in a body is to know those people. To know what they're going through. To know what they're struggling with. To know where their victories are. That's significant. And my biggest concern as a pastor is that people come here there's a lot of people who serve, and they, they, they serve, they check the box, and then they, they don't see anybody else for the rest of the week. That's my biggest concern. So we will never be as strong as a body and connected and obedient as if we actually spent time with people in the church. If you think of church as more of a job than a family, we're doing something incorrect. Now, many of you serve, and we need servants. I always say every week talk about things we need help with. And many of you serve so faithfully. Probably more than half this church serve in some capacity. Which is far greater than the average. Right? Usually it's 20%, 20% of the work. But here we have at least half. But I wanted to submit to you and ask you, do you love the people here at CIC? Do you spend some time with them? Now I'm saying... Every second needs to be with people from church. But if that's not a part of your life outside of Friday morning at 11 o'clock, 
we're not doing something right. And I'm guilty. I am preaching to myself because I know people have reached out to me and I have not responded to all of them because my life is, feels like it's like a dumpster fire a lot of the time. Um, being sick and moving and just life is, is insane. I totally get that. So I'm totally with you. Like, my life is insane. I can't even be with the people I like, let <laughs> alone these people. But I think it is important. More than serving, just spending time with some people at church outside of Friday morning is going to be important. It's going to be critical. As we want to continue to grow both in numbers and in depth, that needs to happen. Because I don't want people coming in here. This is what can happen. As they come in here, no one says hi to them because they've got their people they talk to, and they leave and they never come back. Because, like, man, people did not love me or invest in me. So my question is, who can you invest in at church? Now, invest does not mean necessarily something spiritual, but just like, hey, let's get lunch together. Let's have a dinner. Let's play some games. Let's have some fun. This is why we do First Friday, right? First Friday is a great chance just to have a meal. We're not doing a deep Bible study. We're enjoying lunch together at the Marina Mall. We might do something outside because the weather's getting good soon. I'll give you updates of, of that as that goes on. But that's an important thing. That's, that's, for me, that's critically important just to know people better. And it should be for you as well. So, that all the people commit, and I ask you to commit as well to just this family, to these people. Because there's people that you don't even know what their struggles are, and they could be going through the worst season of their life, and no one's reaching out to them, and that would be deeply sad, right? That people feel so alone here in, among God's people. And I'm trying my best, but I can't do it all myself. So we all need to be this. So, that was a long first point. So I'm going to go to the next ones pretty quickly. So, they, they covenant to obey God's law, but then they say a couple specific things, which I think is very insightful, that they value and most important. So first of all, they commit their relationships to God, right? They make the covenant. It's actually kind of covenant because they usually go through animal parts because you require sacrifice to covenants. So the people say these specific things, but they're significant things because it must have been really important to God and the people to say these things. So the first thing is they will, they will not marry people outside the faith. They will not give their daughters to non-Jews they would not take daughters from the nations to give to their Jewish sons. Right? And to be clear, this was important because the kingdom was divided because Solomon had a thousand wives and concubines. Right? And because of that, it, the Bible's clear that these women, these people, these spouses, led him away to, from God to these other gods that they were serving. Because he married people from outside the Jewish faith. And, um, you know, today we don't have a ton of, maybe, at least in, in my culture, there's not a ton of arranged marriages, right? It's mostly you fall in love and you meet somebody and you get married. But a couple different things. First of all, I think it's, there's wisdom in getting help from parents. If you are single and you're not married or you have, you have children, I think it would be, as, especially as a father, it's like, I want to be involved in the person my sons end up marrying. Because I have wisdom, and your parents have wisdom, 
that you lack, right? Because when you're young and in love, love is blind. Everyone knows this. And you might marry somebody that you think is attractive, but can end up ruining your life, right? And having parents involved is important. But the most important thing is not to marry an unbeliever. If you are single, look, look at me in the eyes. Say to yourself, I will not marry an unbeliever if you are a believer. That was true then. It is true now. The New Testament has plenty of examples. It's very clear. That this is the one thing you don't do. So singles. There are some singles in this church. Hold out for a believer. Wait for a believer to come into your life. Because if you make that mistake, you might have 50 years to regret it. And I've known people, I've known plenty of people, being here as long as I have, that have married for the wrong reasons, someone who did not believe, and it was just so difficult for, for decades. Okay? So, for my single friends, wait for a believer. I have a, I have a friend here who's their children were Christians, but one of their daughters married a Muslim, I think a Kuwaiti. They came back here because of all the pressure from the family to convert to Islam, and that's what she ends up doing. And think about all the tears that the parents shed because of that, and maybe her eternal future at stake because of that. Just one example of many that I could share. And possible eternity of things. If you do not believe that Jesus lived a perfect life and died for your sins and rose on the third day, in your heart, you will not go to heaven. So I want to be super clear about this. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And most of the things that attract us to our partner, research shows, is infatuation. And it pays up for about 24 months. Right? Research is conclusive on this. And marriage, if you're, those of you married, it can be hard. It can be a ton of work. It can be really challenging. So then, if you have somebody whose their, their core value as a person is not loving Jesus, think about how hard it will be to resolve conflict. How hard it will be to raise your kids. It's the most, second most important decision in your life besides loving Jesus and, and believing in him is your partner. So finding a committed Christian should be at the very top of your list. Now, if you're already married, that's a lifetime, okay? And honoring God, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, it is being committed to that person. But for those of you who have not made that decision yet, just let me be very clear. Looks, personality, job, income are all down here compared to this loving Jesus because that will make your marriage survive so they commit their relationship they commit their sexuality and their marriage to God third they commit how they make their money how, how, does, how do they make money they say we are going to keep the Sabbath right already part of the law so they, they said that was before right we commit everything but they specifically mentioned the Sabbath. We're gonna, we're gonna, people want to sell us stuff on the Sabbath, we're not gonna buy it. Right? In any other holy day, 
like the Feast of Booths. We're not going to do that because that's what God asked from the people. They also agreed, in the Old Testament it talks about, in the Torah it talks about, every seven years you let the land lie fallow, let it lie without growing and producing crops so it can kind of heal and recover. And also it talks about, um, I'll read you the passage from Exodus. It says, for six years you shall sow your land and gather in its field, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. So most of us are not farmers. It may make no sense. But they're committing to what God had for them. Because we actually know today that research also shows that the land needs to heal to grow better crops. And it also says in the seventh year, we'll have kind of like a, like a little jubilee where people, if you owe somebody money, you need to let that debt go. Right? Already talks to Nehemiah about interest. Interest is, is sinful according to the, the Bible. Right? But it's on top of that, even the original debt, after seven years, you forgive it. So, Honoring the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments and important to God because God worked six days in creation and rested on the seventh day. The temptation with breaking the Sabbath is that, okay, if I work seven days, I will make more money, right? More money means more provision. However, these verses, talks, the reason they have to let the land like follow, they practice Sabbath, is they need to depend on Jesus on God to protect them and care for them is showing saying listen I can make I can make money all day and all night but only God cares for me that money can be gone I knew a friend that to this story before my first year in Kuwait his name was Dave he was hilarious a nice guy not a believer he worked he worked at a school he was a math teacher and he got tons of tutoring so every day he would tutor for four or five hours after work. And he doubled his salary. And he got lots of gifts from the students. So I think there was, I don't know what he was doing with them, but he's probably helping them with tests. That's, I don't know that part. But he got lots of gifts, blackberries. That was, that was a big thing at the time. And he made so much money, he was happy, he was just traveling. He died that summer, passed away. Uh, you might have had a heart attack. I'm not sure exactly the circumstances. And I know that those gifts, because I went to his apartment after he died and saw everything, because they wanted us, who we were friends with him, to check their apartment, anything that might be valuable to the family. So all that money, all that work he did, whose is it now? It's not his. Right, he's in heaven. This is why we have the Sabbath, to rest from work, to go to church, Right? To spend time with God's people. To invest in people and in family. Right? I got another good friend of mine. I've not done this yet, but he actually no phones one day a week on his weekend. That's pretty pretty impressive. Not as like strict, not like the Jewish people in Jesus' time where it's like you can't lift a finger to make dinner. But it's a there's a there's a principle here of I'm going to take at least one day a week and just enjoy life and enjoy family and enjoy church and recharge my spiritual batteries after six days of giving to the corporate world. 
And same with 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 the the seventh year, the people wouldn't eat the crops that they didn't depend on God. So I want to submit to you the Sabbath. Having a Sabbath, if you don't have that, you will burn out. You will not be happy. God has a Sabbath for a reason. And finally, commit to how you spend your money. So the last paragraph is about spending money. We've talked about this before. But they give. They give a lot. They give a third of the shekel for the maintenance of the temple. This is silver, including offerings, Sabbaths, equipment. There's a rotation for the wood gathering because God said that my altar will always have a fire on it. So we're going to make sure that, I mean, cutting wood, if you've done any of that, it's hard work. So they make sure there's a rotation. They give the first fruits of the tree, of the ground, to the temple. The first, the first harvest, that means the first fruits, like the first harvest or the first crops that come up, is given to God. Also, first fruits of animals for sacrifice. First fruits of their sons or daughters. Your first opens the womb, you have to redeem it for silver because it belongs to the Lord. Um, first fruits of dough, additional contributions required in the Torah. This is the tithe of the tenth. The priests and the Levites collect the tithe. They take a tithe of the tithe to give back to the Lord. So even the Levites who are receiving the tithe give a tithe back to God. It is for the temple, for the priests, the gatekeepers, the singers. They, say, they promise not to neglect God's house because the temple required things. So they promise to give generously. They gave the tithes, the first fruits, the temple contributions, and more. Based on the law, the tithe means tenth. That was what it said. But if you look at these scriptures, the people of Israel gave around 23% of their income. If you, if you add all this up, up together. So far more than the tenth, they gave this much. This was to serve the temple and those who served in it. They wanted to be blessed by God. So they covenanted to give generously. Now, I deliver the mail. I don't write the mail. So don't shoot the messenger. But this is what the Bible says. Why we do books of the Bible. Because it says things like this. And this principle applies today. Right? To maintain the hotel, the equipment, paying the pastor. It all takes money. It is also about God's blessing. God's blessing. They covenant with God. They have their own reasons, right? Because we want to be under God's protection and blessing. In one sense, it's selfish. But they want to give to God. And I think that the, the tithe principle is a great place to start. If you don't know about giving, I tithe. Okay? My leaders tithe. Or more. 10% is what that means of the income that you make. And God promises blessing to those who give to his kingdom. Right? We get 90%. We have to give less than the Jews do. But only 5% of Christians give the tithe. You know that? People just throw a couple dollars in. A couple dinars in, rather. But I think that if you, if you invest that 10%, now, in the New Testament, it doesn't say you have to give that. I'm not saying it's a tax. I want to be clear here. But this is a great place. I read a great book on it. I've mentioned it before. About... Uh, Randy Alcorn, I think it's God Possessions in Eternity. And it really inspired in my heart to give that 10%. And God bless, has blessed me more when I started giving than before. You know, it's not always financial. It's sometimes financial. But it's a better relationship with your spouse, with your kids. Your life will be blessed by God because if we invest into God, 
Right? We reap what we sow. Jesus said that very clearly. Jesus said, you tie your mint and your cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law. He says you should do one without, with, do one and the other. Jesus says, yes, the law is important in being obedient, but also giving. He didn't say you don't have to give to the Pharisees. He said, no, you do both. This is what it means to be a believer. You, we get to give. Right? I'm, not, I'm not forcing anybody, I'm not looking at anybody's wallets, but part of being a Christian is we get to do these things, and even though there's a struggle sometimes, because I feel it too, because we work hard for our money, it's our energy, it's our future. If we give to God's kingdom, it will that 90% will be blessed. Oh, I'm out of time. In conclusion, Ben, if you can come up, the people coming in with God because they knew he was their king, and Father, and He would protect them as they loved and obeyed, and they got to serve. That's the whole point. You get to do these things. You don't have to do these things. This is what Jesus asks, asks of us, to obey Him, and we get to because we're believers. He is our Savior, and He's also our Lord, and we obey Him out of our love. And this is especially, too, with our marriage, with our sexuality, with our Sabbath, and with our income. These are the things that the people of God said, this is important to God, and it should be important to us as well, and I just want to encourage you, we get to do this, and God will bless us for it. God will give us his protection. Let's stand up and pray. Sorry, I kept you a couple minutes longer. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that you are a God that we get to serve because all your rules are for me, are for us. They bless us. They're not, you're not keeping anything from us, God. You are trying to give parameters so we can live a life that is meaningful and holy and powerful. I know that that's the hard, that's the hard part is to believe that. Because my temptation is to think, what is God holding from me? What is he withholding from me? But no, you, you put rules in our lives to, to not let us destroy ourselves and to keep us happy and holy and connected to you and committed to you and covenanted with you. So please bless these people. Help us to believe that, not just in our brains, but in our hearts. That all your rules are for my good, are for me, are for us. And we just ask for us in your great name, King Jesus. Amen. We'll do a final song and then I'll let you go.